the reading is the reading today is the parable of the great banquet. It's not actually on the service sheet, but it's in the pew Bible on page 1048. Oh, can you hear me now? Yes, sorry about the soft voice. Uh, parable of the great banquet, pew Bible, 1000, page 1048. When one of those at the table with Jesus heard him, heard him. Heard him, heard this. He said to Jesus, "Blessed is is he is the one who will come who will eat the feast at the kingdom of, in the kingdom of God." Jesus replied, "A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell all those who had been invited, come for everything is ready.' But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, "I have." Just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, "I have just bought five oxen, yoke oxen, and I'm on my way to test, try them out. Please excuse me." Still another said, "I have just got married, so I can't come." The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, "Go quickly out into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame." Sir, the servant said, "What you have what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room." Then the master told his servant, "Go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet." As we sit, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would open your word to our hearts and our minds, and our hearts and our minds to your word. We pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Who would be the guests, alive or dead, at your fantasy dinner party? You've probably all had that question at some point in your life. Uh, These are just some of the names and faces that regularly feature in the polls, if we have the first slide. Uh, it should be on its way. People such as uh, David Attenborough, I'll read them out because uh, there may be a problem with the slide here. Pr- David Attenborough, uh, there we go, Princess Diana, William Shakespeare. I, I don't need to name all of those people there, but s- some, of them, uh, <coughs> some of them perhaps more available than others. Um, <coughs> but it's a big decision though, isn't it? Um, and you've got to think very carefully, uh, for instance, about... I don't know, the kind of vibe you're trying to set. If you're going for a a light-hearted, witty conversation at your dinner, then may I suggest you might want to pick somebody like Alexander Armstrong over somebody like Alexander the Great. Uh, If you're after a bit of lively discussion or debate, may I suggest perhaps uh, the Dimbleby brothers over the Chuckle brothers. Um, And if you're tight on space, why not just choose either Ant or Deck? because who really knows which is which anyway. Um, Now, as you finalise your guest list in your head, um, I imagine you've probably gone for people that you admire and respect, or perhaps whose uh, opinions interest you in some way, and I guess you haven't gone for somebody who you know would completely undermine you Uh, and humiliate you in front of your guests and maybe even turn on the guests as well and have a go at them. Nobody nobody wants that at a dinner party. Well, in today's Bible reading, we find Jesus as a dinner guest at uh, the house of one of the Pharisees. And in fact, we find in Luke that Jesus, this is the third time that he's been invited 
um, to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, a Pharisee chief, and his friends. Why? Well, it's probably not because Jesus can always be relied upon to turn their drinking water into the finest Chateau Lafitte. No, he's there because these Pharisees, these highly respected, powerful uh, Jewish elite, are hoping earnestly to incriminate Jesus. They don't like what he's doing and saying. They're not interested in his gospel. To them, he's just a troublemaker, a rabble-rouser, healing on the Sabbath, making friends with tax collectors and prostitutes, claiming the authority to forgive sins. We read just a few chapters earlier at the end of chapter 11 that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are waiting to catch him in something he might say. They want him dead. And they just need him to put his foot in it. In front of plenty of witnesses in order to nail him. And so that's why we find him here in chapter 14. And I'm just going to read from verse 1 uh, to set the scene a bit. It should appear on the screen. One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So he's being carefully watched by the Pharisees and lawyers and maybe they hope they will catch him out with the presence of another guest. Verse 2. There in front of Jesus was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So, taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. In his wisdom, Jesus silences his fellow diners with these questions that they cannot answer. Is it lawful or is it not? Answer yes. And they would be seen to be denying the law that they so proudly adhere to. Answer no. And their hard-heartedness is exposed. No wonder they had nothing to say. So Jesus continues. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. 
although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is once again seeing right into the hearts of the people around him. And he's trying to help them grasp the nature of the kingdom of God, which doesn't honour you according to your status in society or the size of your bank account or even your knowledge of scripture. No, you will be blessed, says Jesus, for the care and concern you show to others. You will be blessed when you put everyone else, especially the poor, the disabled, the friendless, before yourself, without expecting anything in return. Jesus is nothing if not blunt. He needs his listeners to recognise the very attitudes that are holding them back from knowing God and being part of his kingdom. And it's quite the insult to these pious, upstanding religious officials who claim to know everything there is to know about God's holy law, but fail to recognise Jesus' unique role in fulfilling it. So whether to try and ease the tension in the room, or perhaps in an effort to boost the confidence of the Pharisees after their egos have been insulted, one bloke says uh, in uh, verse 15... Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom in the kingdom of God. And it's a neat little reference to the future messianic banquet that probably everyone there would have understood. And the Pharisees would probably have breathed a sigh of relief. As this puts them right back in the frame. They're the ones that are going to eat. At the feast in the kingdom of heaven. They are the model religious types. They know God's law better than anyone. Thank goodness for this man in verse 15. Jesus replied. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. Come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant... Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, many have interpreted this parable in terms of world history, uh, Jews and Gentiles and so on. I don't think it's necessarily uh, the most helpful way for me to go at the time, in the time that we have today. Because I don't want us to miss what I think is the core message that Jesus is trying to get across uh, here. In response to the man in verse 15, which is this. 
and it should be on the screen, future blessedness depends on acceptance of the invitation. Future blessedness depends on acceptance of the invitation. In other words, yes, of course, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. But, will you actually listen to Jesus and follow him? Will you trust and obey? And will you do it now, today? It seems some of the guests at the dinner party would answer, no. And Jesus' parable speaks to them as it speaks to many people we know today who refuse to know Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord of their lives. Maybe there are people here who've not yet accepted Jesus. Or perhaps you're sitting here thinking, I have accepted the invitation. I'll make no excuses. I want to be at that banquet. So how does this parable speak to me? Well, let me draw briefly on three things from Jesus' teaching here that might encourage us. And they are, first, God's abundant grace. Second, our spiritual poverty. And third, the servant's commission. First, God's abundant grace. Uh, Look at verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. The certain man is God and the banquet represents his future kingdom when it's wholly revealed uh, and established when Jesus returns. I wonder what comes to your mind uh, when you uh, think of the most lavish, the most wonderful feast or banquet you've ever been to. Certainly for me, uh, the first thing that comes into my head is a wedding feast, a wedding dinner. And none more perfect and joyful than mine, (laughs) frankly. Um, The food, the wine, music, the beautifully decked venue, packed with friends and family, and perhaps most importantly of all, the beautiful bride. And this is just one of a few images that the Bible gives us of what heaven will be like. Um, I suppose such joyful perfection or such perfect joy um, is so far beyond our comprehension that the only way we can appreciate something of the heavenly kingdom of God is to liken it to a great banquet or uh, a mansion with many rooms or a beautiful garden. Points of reference that we, we can imagine. But the reality is they don't even come close. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And the man laying all this on says, verse 23, compel them to come so that my house will be full the invitation is to everyone and God longs for everyone to accept now we're not talking about a lovely 
church family tea party in the rectory garden, wonderful though they always are. We're not even talking about the grandest royal banquet for the coronation or a wedding that this country has ever seen. No, 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 this is much bigger. We're talking billions upon billions of faithful people experiencing unfathomable and abundant grace of Almighty God in his very presence, the Lord Jesus at his right hand. And not only is there nothing on earth so glorious, but there's also no invitation so gracious and absolutely nothing else to which your response is so important. How shocking then that the servant's beckoning to the invited guests is met with excuse after excuse. I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Oh, my favourite one. I've just got married, so I can't come. It's very tempting to make a kind of reference to a um, Nora Batty type figure with a husband on a very short lead there, but I won't make that. Um, but at the same time, that last excuse is actually quite chilling because unlike the first two, it's not remotely apologetic, is it? I can't come. The fact is, none of these people who are invited actually want to come. They're simply not interested. If they were, then all those things they mentioned, they could have waited for another day. Now let's be clear, these things are, are all very good things in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with buying property. There's nothing wrong uh, with growing an agricultural business or any business. Uh, there's nothing wrong with getting married and having a family. But the moment they become uh, your priority above the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you found your idol and you're in grave danger. My second heading is our spiritual poverty. It's striking that the invited guests who make their excuses are the very people who would have considered themselves deserving of an invitation. Perhaps Jesus had in mind such people as the Pharisees or the man in verse 15, who were extremely confident of their place at the table in the kingdom of heaven by the merits of their own religious observances. In contrast, however, look at who Jesus says will take the place, will take their place instead of them. Verses 21 and 23. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, or go out to the roads and country lanes, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The banquet giver is reaching out to the social outcasts, those living uh, not just on the streets of the city, but not even in the city at all. People who had nothing, no wealth, no power, no influence, no sense of entitlement. Indeed, they need to be compelled, in other words, persuaded 
to come to the banquet because upon hearing the servants call, they wouldn't have been able to believe their ears. They would have said, surely not me. The Lord doesn't know me. I'm not worthy. I've got nothing to bring. And such should be our lowly and broken state before Jesus. We are sinners. As the prayer of humble access at Holy Communion puts it, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under the Lord's table. We are spiritually bankrupt and we can do nothing to help ourselves. So Christ did it for us on the cross. Augustus Toplady put it like this in his hymn, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. Only when we admit our brokenness can we fully appreciate and accept the abundance of God's grace. The richness of the banquet he has prepared, to which we are not worthy of invitation, but to which God compels us to come. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And finally then, the servant's commission. I couldn't decide whether to put the apostrophe before the S for the singular servant in the parable or after the S for the plural servants of God. But there you go, you can put it wherever you like. Um, Perhaps uh, the orders given to the servant in the parable may have reminded you of Jesus' command to his followers in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations. And to those of us who have committed to following Jesus and serving him as our Lord, how do we respond to this? Well, look at the Master's instruction in today's passage. He says, go out quickly. That's the first thing. There's no overemphasizing the urgency here. The time is now. The banquet is ready. Jesus is coming again, this time not to save, but for judgment. And we do not know when he will come. So we must not delay in reaching out to others and inviting them to the banquet. Because as Jesus himself says in John 5, 24, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Go quickly. But where are we to go? Well, says the master, go into the streets and alleys of the town. Go out to the roads and the country lanes. In other words, we need to go far to the ends of the earth, Jesus says. And we need to go to everyone. Praise God for the mission partners that we are connected with here at All Saints. For those translating the Bible so that others can read it for the first time. For those engaging with Muslims and other faith groups. For those involved with poverty aid. And your financial uh, support and your prayers 
enable those Christians to do and continue that vital work. And it involves you in that ministry to the ends of the earth. But local mission is just as important. There are millions of people uh, who need to be reached in this country, this region. People in this village. Who are you praying for at the moment? Who are you sharing your faith with? And lastly, we are to compel them. To attract them. And help them to see that they are welcome to the banquet. And convince them that to attend his life, life eternal, and to refuse is death. Now we needn't shoulder that burden completely. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can convict the hearts of men and women. But can I suggest, as members of God's kingdom, which is at hand, and which has in some sense come already, we give the world a taste, a flavour of the banquet to come. Jesus calls us, does he not, to be salt and light in a world of darkness. And that means... We are to stand out and be noticed for the love we show to others, for the integrity with which we manage our affairs, for the peace which we promote, for the charity we give to the needy, for the comfort we offer to those in distress, and for the joy that we have in Christ Jesus who gave us his very life that we might live. Go out quickly and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to be more like Jesus every day so that our lives would point to him and to the salvation that he brings to all who believe. We pray that you would make us bold to go quickly to all who need to receive the invitation to your banquet and that your spirit would move them to respond and follow Jesus. And we pray finally that you would guard our hearts against putting our worldly pleasures and pursuits before our love and devotion to you. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.